Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, where we do things the Hemingway. We're talking about Book 11, Chapter 12. As a criminal led out to execution knows that he's about to die, yet still looks around and straightens the hat he has put on a skew. So Moscow involuntarily went on with her usual life, though she knew that the time of her destruction was near, when all the conventions of life which people were accustomed to obey would be broken what are your thoughts on this comparison from this chapter? The Countess talks about her preference of Princess Maya in front of Sonia. Sonia sees why Princess Maya is the better match for Nikolai, but is still bitter about it and takes the responsibility of arranging everything for the packing of things. What do you think of the way she's dealing with her grief? Well, at least she's being productive. Uh, I think she should have slowly, by now, uh, kind of removed that expectation that she would ever be with Nicholas. You know, I think as she's growing up into a young adult, she should have by now recognized that it wasn't something that was realistic. Ripster66 says, you know that sort of party atmosphere that can form... In the hours before a hurricane hits, I think that's similar to what is happening in Moscow. Yeah, that's a good point. I know exactly what you mean. Not that I've ever experienced a hurricane, mind you, but I do know exactly what you mean. Uh, Everyone knows things are about to get ugly, but it's not happening yet, so life goes on as usual with maybe a bit of a manic gaiety thrown in. Of course, that's the folks with means to leave, and a place to go to. I imagine it's a bit more desperate for the lower classes. Poor Sonia. She's not surprised about the turn of events, and she's well aware of the Rostov's financial situation. What else can she do? I certainly hope things work out well for her, since she seems to have common sense and moral a moral centre that, men, that many in the family are lacking. I like that, Ripster. Good point about, um, especially about the party atmosphere in the hours before a hurricane and the fact that they just don't seem to be panicked, really. They are kind of giddy, right? But uh, there's almost this disbelief that anything terrible is about to happen until like the last second and then people kind of acknowledge. We're so slow to, to react to things like that, aren't we? as a population. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, The metaphor of the condemned man straightening his hat reminded me of the reported last words of Mary Antoinette. Pardon me... Oh, sorry. Was, I'll read the English version. Um, Pardon me, sir, I did not do it on purpose. Spoken to her executioner when she accidentally stepped on his foot. Very cool. All right. Let's keep trucking. Chapter 13 goes like this. On Saturday, the 31st of August, everything in the Rostovs' house seemed topsy-turvy. All the doors were open, all the furniture was being carried out or moved about, and the mirrors and pictures had been taken down. There were trunks in the rooms, and hay, wrapping paper, and ropes were scattered about. The peasants and house serfs carrying out the things were treading heavily on the parquet floors. The yard was crowded with peasant carts, some loaded high and already quartered up, and others still empty. The voices and footsteps of the many servants and of the peasants 
who had come with the carts resounded as they shouted to one another in the yard and in the house. The Count had been out since morning. The Countess had a headache brought on by all the noise and turmoil and was lying down in the new sitting room with a vinegar compress on her head. Petra was not at home. He had gone to visit a friend with whom he meant to obtain a transfer from the militia to the active army. Sonia was in the ballroom looking after the packing of the glass and china. Natasha was sitting on the floor of her dismantled room with dresses, ribbons and scarves strewn all about her, gazing fixedly at the floor and holding in her hands the old ball dress, already out of fashion, which she had worn at her first Petersburg ball. Natasha was ashamed of doing nothing when everyone else was so busy, and several times that morning had tried to set to work, but her heart was not in it, and she could not and did not know how to do anything except with all her heart and all her might. For a while she had stood beside Sonia while the china was being packed and tried to help, but soon gave it up and went to her room to pack her own things. The first she f- At first she found it amusing to give away dresses and ribbons to the maids, but when that was done, and what was left had still to be packed, she found it dull. Danyasha, you pack. You will, won't you, dear? And when Danyasha willingly promised to do it all for her, Natasha sat down on the floor, took her old ball dress, and fell into a reverie quite unrelated to what ought to have occupied her thoughts now. She was roused from her reverie by the talk of the maids in the next room, which was theirs, and by the sound of their hurried footsteps going to the back porch. Natasha got up and looked out the window. An enormously long row of carts full of wounded men had stopped in the street. The housekeeper, the old nurse, the cooks, coachmen, maids, footmen, postillions and scullions stood at the gate, staring at the wounded. Natasha, throwing a clean pocket handkerchief over her hair and holding an end of it in each hand, went out into the street. The former housekeeper, old Mavra Kuzminichna, had stepped out of the crowd by the gate, gone up to the cart with a hood constructed of bast mats, and was speaking to a pale young officer who lay inside. Natasha moved a few steps forward and stopped shyly, still holding her handkerchief, and listened to what the housekeeper was saying. Then you have nobody in Moscow, she was saying. You would be more comfortable somewhere in a house, in ours, for instance. The family are leaving. I don't know if it would be allowed, replied the officer in a weak voice. Here is our commanding officer. Ask him. And he pointed to a stout major who was walking back along the street past the row of carts. And Natasha glanced with frightened eyes at the face of the wounded officer and at once went to meet the major. May the wounded men stay in our house, she asked. The major raised his hand to his cap with a smile. Which one do you want, mademoiselle? said he, screwing up his eyes and smiling. Natasha quietly repeated her question, and her face and whole manner were so serious, though she was still holding the ends of her handkerchief, that the Major ceased smiling, and after some reflection, as if considering in how far the thing was possible, replied in the affirmative. Ah, yes, why not? They may, he said. With a slight inclination of her head, Natasha stepped back quickly to Mavra Kuzminichna, who stood talking compassionately to the officer. They may, he says they may, whispered Natasha. The cart in which the officer lay was turned into the Rostov's yard, 
and dozens of carts with wounded men began at the invitation of the townsfolk to turn into the yards and to draw up at the entrances of the houses in Pavarskaya Street. Natasha was evidently pleased to be dealing with new people outside the ordinary routine of her life. She and Mavra Kuzminichna tried to get as many of the wounded as possible into their yard. Your papa must be told, though, said Mavra Kuzminichna. Never mind, never mind, what does it matter? For one day we can move into the drawing room. They can have all our half of the house. There now, young lady, you do take things into your head. Even if we put them into the wing, the men's room, and the nurse's room, we must ask permission. Well, I'll ask. Natasha ran into the house and went on tiptoe through the half-open door into the sitting room where there was a smell of vinegar and Hoffman's drops. Are you asleep, Mama? Oh, what sleep, said the Countess, waking up just as she was dropping into a doze. Mama, darling, said Natasha, kneeling by her mother and bringing her face close to her mother's. I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll never do it again. I woke you up. Mavra Kuvmanichna has sent me. They have brought some wounded here. Officers, will you let them come? They have nowhere to go. I knew you'd let them come, she said quickly, all in one breath. What officers? Whom have they brought? I don't understand anything about it, said the Countess. Natasha laughed and the Countess too smiled slightly. I knew you'd give permission, so I'll tell them. And having kissed her mother, Natasha got up and went to the door. <clears throat> In the hall she met her father, who had returned with bad news. We've stayed too long, said the Count with involuntary vexation. The club is closed and the police are leaving. Papa, is it all right? I've invited some of the wounded into the house, said Natasha. Of course it is, he answered absently. That's not the point. I beg you not to indulge in trifles now, but to help to pack, and tomorrow we must go, go, go. And the Count gave a similar order to the Major Domo and the servants. At dinner, Petra, having returned home, told them the news he had, le he had heard. He said the people had been getting arms in the Kremlin, and that though Rostopchin's broadsheet had said that he would sound a call two or three days in advance, the order had certainly already been given for everyone to go armed to the Three Hills tomorrow, and that there would be a big battle there. The Countess looked with timid horror at her son's eager, excited face as he said this. She realised that if she said a word about it, about his not going to the battle, she knew he enjoyed, he enjoyed the thought of impending engagement. He would say something about men, honour, and the fatherland, something senseless, masculine and obstinate, which there would be no contradicting, and her plans would be spoiled, and so, hoping to arrange to leave before then and take Petra with her as their protector and defender, she did not answer him, but after dinner called the Count aside and implored him with tears to take her away quickly, that very night if possible. With a woman's involuntary loving cunning she, who till then had not shown any alarm, said that she would die of fright if they did not leave that very night. Without any pretense, she was now afraid of everything. Whew, okay, things are coming to the crunch. Everything's kind of condensing into one day, you know. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what everyone was anticipating. While you're kind of fluffing around going, oh, we should be packing, we should be doing this, uh, you know, and kind of living life as normal, knowing that an invasion is actively happening. You know, you know it's going to come to a crunch moment. And in that crunch moment, suddenly there's going to be a million things to do in a very short time. Uh, and you wish you'd been better prepared. And that seems to be what's happening. 
young Rostov wants to go off and fight the next day, I think it was. Now the Countess wants him to get out of there before he can go off and fight, under the guise of him being their protector. Natasha has other ideas. She wants to bring the wounded in and help them shelter. Um, well, interesting time. I liked that chapter. I like where we are in the book at the moment. It's, it's kind of exciting. All right, have your say about it over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.